Welcome to the Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money, bringing expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Janine Bolin. Janine has quite a resume. She's written 11 books. She currently teaches 15 online courses, and she's a veteran podcast host, and her podcast is aptly titled The Janine Bolton Show, where she talks about money, solopreneurship, writing and authorship, and how to hold on to your sanity. Welcome to the Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, Janine. Thank you so much, Tony. I am so looking forward to our time together. I know we're going to be able to help a lot of people. Great, great. So good to have you here. But let's let's do a little uh, formalities in the front. I know my audience is always curious where the guests live and work from, so I'm going to ask you that. I have worked very hard to get to the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So I'm coming to you from a mile high in Colorado, and I have been working from home since 1996. Great. You're, you were way ahead of the rest of us that got chased I, home by the COVID bug. Uh, let me tell you, I feel like everybody has finally joined my party. And you know, with those 15 online courses, I don't have to teach people how to use Zoom anymore. I don't have to teach people how to download Zoom anymore. Yeah. I am so thrilled with uh, what has happened with the online space since right. 2020. I'm thrilled to have everybody here. Good to connect with someone that has got a benefit out of this whole thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? I don't think any of us saw much of what came coming. Well, Janine, I'd like to open with, if you would just share your personal story and how you ended up doing what you're doing today. Uh, sure. It started really with analytical biochemistry. I was working in the pharmaceutical industry out in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina, which is just, as they like to describe it, the pad of butter in the bowl of grits out there, because it's just an, an incredibly amazing research area, research park. But in 1996, I dropped out of corporate America and started teaching because I really love being able to share what I know and to also be able to learn from my students. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. And I ended up getting into a small liberal arts college in Utah, and I was teaching there. And one of the interesting things was I was noticing, uh, I was in charge of bringing about the math and science program for non-majors, just to give them a little bit of a well-rounded education. And so I was teaching physics at the time. And what was fascinating to me was I was watching the grades drop as the closer we got to the end of the semester, the grades would really start to drop and I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I started quizzing some of my students because we would have these, um, what we call them, ice cream soda Fridays and we'd watch geek movies and documentaries and all that. Cause you know, back in the day when Netflix shipped you the CD, the DVDs. Um, so we would have Netflix ship us these amazing documentaries and we'd have ice cream sodas and all that. And as I was in that kind of engagement with the students, very fun place, they started telling me about how they were running out of money. And that's why the grades were dropping because they were living on, get this, canned stew that you could get for a dollar a can and ramen and cup of noodles and all these types of food products that we know are not the best for keeping the 
the old brain running real well. And so because of that, I started teaching the freshman class about money. That's where the 60-40 principle was born. That's why I started all kinds of books. I think I wrote my, my first five or six books were all based in personal finance. And it started because of my students. Well, once my students went back home, they taught their parents. And then the parents started saying, hey, we want a book. So that's where money, it's not just for rich people came from. And then after I started teaching the parents, they're like, hey, will you teach our 11 to 16 year olds? <laughs> and I had never taught that young. I, I was terrified. Okay. I was a college yeah. professor and I, you know, kids, one of the things they are is they are honest. If you stay as a teacher, they're going to let you know, oh my God, why should I listen to you? You're awful, right? So yeah. I would like throw candy bars into the audience and anything I could do to keep them highly engaged. We had them up, moving around. Uh, now I love breakout rooms that we have on Zoom because I was doing that in the class all the time because I was just trying to keep these young people engaged. Come to find out I didn't need to. They were thriving. They loved the information I was giving them. They were running with the information. They were starting businesses. And so this was back in 1999 to around 2007 was where that was my most active time when I was doing the uh, in-person events. But then I started moving around quite a bit as I was going from teaching event to teaching event. And that's when I started looking into the audio space and started doing audio blogging. That's what they called us back then <laughs> because of blog talk radio. And so I started doing audio blogging. And then that's why so many people know me as a podcaster now. It's just because I've been doing it so long, been on a bunch of radio stations and now radio stations will pull my content. And that's why we call it the Janine Bolin show is because I've taken over seven different podcasts and shoved them all that content into one show. And that way the radio stations know what they're pulling. So that kind of is a long-winded answer and why you'll see such diversity uh, in the content that comes out of the eight gates, which is my company. I see. Yeah. Boy, you have been at it a long time. Um, <laughs> I think that might be in, in my limited experience. I think that might be the longest track record in audio recording playback that I've ever experienced. So uh, it's fun to meet a pioneer. Yeah, thank you. I had a, a lot of fun because I can remember we would take the highlights, like we take our best 10 shows and we would mm -hmm. start telling people, hey, if you want the 10 best shows, uh, you can get them for $49.95 and we'd burn them all onto CDs and ship them out to people. <laughs> it was, you know, I look back to stuff like that and, oh, and yeah. how we had to buy these towers so we could burn like 10 and 15 CDs at a time because we were getting so many orders. And of course, I was doing all of this while I was raising four children and oh, teaching gee. at a, at a, at a university, but you know, teachers were very creative when it comes to different types of income streams and anything that I could make money on, but yet was high quality content, you know, because I'm like you, I don't want to waste other people's money. I want to make sure that what I give them is a high deliverable, right? We really right. want it to be quality content. And I knew I was doing that. It was just, I was taking Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart's advice, replicate mm -hmm. yourself. And anytime right. I saw automation that allowed me to replicate, I did that. So we moved from audio files to CDs to jump drives, flash drives. I don't know, stick drives. Everybody has a different name for those. Yeah. And then now everything's downloadable. Isn't it awesome? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It I awesome. love it. I love it. It is awesome. You know, I have a friend that unfortunately his tendency is 
you know, he watches too much news is the problem. So he's he gets kind of consumed by the news stories and the negativity that's constantly bombarded with by the, you know, radio news, television news, online news, we, and, you know, more and more so- sources. And sometimes we'll like be out to dinner or something and he's he's just coming at me with all this stuff and, I, and I'll have to stop him and go, hey, check it for just a second, guy. You live in the best time to be alive that's ever existed. Just ponder that for a second, because you do. You may not believe it because of all the input that you're getting from all these different sources. But I firmly believe this is the best time there's ever been to be alive on this planet. And, and uh, you know, especially for people like us <laughs> who rely on technology to get our message out. I mean, it's just never been easier. And that's one of the things I love is because it's opened it up for so many different types of people. If you weren't able to work outside the home, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Not only can you get a college education, which was one of my things that I ran into in 1996 was I wanted to get my master's degree, but I had to leave my children behind to do that. I refused. And I was lucky that I found a college that would allow me to get my master's degree on my terms and stay the, and continue to be the stay-at-home mom I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the challenges that used to have uh, before we used to have before. Now, of course, that's not even uh, a problem anymore. And so right. whether you want additional education and the fact that you can reach out to almost anybody uh, that is in the teaching space and they have a calendar link and they're like, sure, come on, I'll be glad to coach you, you know, or something like that. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful time to be able to not only be an entrepreneur, but just whatever you want to learn. If you ever get a little too negative about life, just go listen to a podcast. Yeah. There are people out there doing amazing things. Absolutely. Well, I've been asking uh, this question of myself. Actually, this question was posed to myself by a a young couple. I guess they qualify as millennials, you know, about 36 years old, married couple, couple kids, strong income, over six figures. And but we're sitting across the table from each other. I'm giving them some some kudos for for being good earners and choosing great careers. And, And so they're going. Well, thanks, Tony. But the truth is we have anxiety about our finances. Uh, we feel like we're living paycheck to paycheck. So I'm going to toss that question over to you. Pretend that the couple was sitting across the table from you, Janine. How, what would you recommend their initial steps be? to reduce that anxiety. First of all, I'd be just like you, Tony. I, I have to mirror that exactly. Of First of all, I'd say, you have picked careers and you have a good, strong, solid income. So rest, rest for a moment in that and celebrate that. Now, when it comes to anxiety, anybody who has lived through 2020, uh, yeah, a lot of us have anxiety. And I just want to let you know you're not alone in that. Because sometimes with anxiety as a whole, you can feel very isolated, very alone. And so anybody who's listening, if you have a feeling of anxiety, and especially some of us who never had it before, 
right, are starting to have a sense of anxiety just because of the nervousness of the planet right now, because nobody, Mm -hmm. there's really no track record on this planet (laughs) for what is going on with it right now. So first of all, I understand why you're there. So how can we help ease that? How can we help you with some soothing and realize that it's because your emotions are coming to the surface and you're attributing it to who knows what, everybody's anxiety is customized for you as a person. So one of the things I would like to recommend to people who do have a solid, strong income, but yet they have anxiety is what are those emotions you're feeling? Try to dig down a little deeper. Instead of calling it anxiety, is it fear? Is it just cold, hard fear? Because if it's fear, that's something you can actually address. Most of us are very courageous in our lives. There have been many times we've been afraid. Many times we've had to stand in front of people and give a presentation or a book report or something. And it terrified us, right? And we lived. So realize fear is the alligator brain, right? The old crocodile brain back there, the lizard brain. It depends on who you talk to is what they call that. But it's just your flight or fight response. And it's because your your brain really doesn't know what else to do. You have this $100,000 income. So what can I do to create some drama in your life? Because, you know, you really shouldn't be as easy and, and relaxed as you are. So it stirs it up. And then you have external factors that will stir that sucker up too. And so yeah. what I start telling is we need to work on your mindset. And so forgive the long explanation there, but this no, is the take home. I'm very much a, a practical Teacher, I very much want to make sure that you walk away with at least one thing to do next. And what I would share with your wonderful couple is you get crystal clear. We're talking laser quality, crystal clear clarity on what are your uh, targets. I don't like to use the word goals. Goals, um, it comes back to my, my dad absolutely loved football. And so I would sit and if I wanted to spend time with my dad and if I wanted to have any kind of a conversation with my dad, I had to learn football. So I was very adept at being able to speak the language of football, but things about goals is to me is reminds me of that. And it's either in or out. It's very binary. You either hit it or you don't. You don't get any credit for working toward a goal. What I love about using the term target instead is it's like horseshoes and darts. And that's a much more fun game to me because I get points for getting close. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you get close, it's a target. So I would sit down with this wonderful couple and I'd say, let's talk about your targets. And it calms the anxiety because if you do just one thing, one thing every day that's moving you closer to a target calms your little butt down. It calms your brain down because you're like, hey, I did one thing. I did my one thing. And if I do my one thing, just 200 days out of the year, I'm giving you a hundred days off, right? You know, it's just 200 days a year. If I'm doing my one thing, I'm doing more than I'm doing great. I'm doing as much as can be expected considering that I'm working a full-time job and I've got two kids and my income is okay. So I always bring it back to really focus on your targets. And that's the power of vision boards. And I know, oh, vision boards. Some people are like, oh my God, Janine, if you tell me to start cutting out pictures and pasting them on a poster board, I'm not going to do it. And I go, fine, you're no longer my client. Here is the list of people that do not require vision boards and you may go to someone else. And that's how much I believe in them because it helps calm that mindset. If you sit there and you stare at your vision board and you're looking at your targets that you've set for yourself as a couple, 
it calms a lot of the problems. It, it calms a lot of the relationship issues. It calms down the conversations because you're both staring at the same thing. You both are seeing the same targets. And it's just really a matter of what step do we take next? And there's not a lot of argument in that. You can usually reprioritize it. It's when things are fuzzy. It's when you don't have a concrete path laid out for yourself. So the story I like to use is that when uh, I'm no longer married, but I was married for 30 years to the same guy, and he was my best friend. He still is. But we were married for 30 years, and there was a period of time where I told him, look, you and I can retire in seven year, or 14 years if we decide to do this. And so he and I became very proactive and we got together and we really focused on that because we had four kids. We knew <laughs> you and I were the generation where we knew Social Security was not going to be there for us. You know, we didn't even make that assumption. The IRA was created for our generation, right, Tony? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Remember, it used to be, that's where the traditional IRA comes from because our generation started screaming at our federal government saying, we know you're not going to have money for us. So help us out, right? They don't talk about that, what we did. And then thank goodness we came up with the Roth. And if I had ever met the uh, Roth on the NJ train in New Jersey, going to New York, if I had ever met him there, because I knew he traveled there, I would have kissed that man on the forehead and thanked him because he passed, he got the bill passed, remember, that gave us the Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, so Brad and I, we rocked and rolled and Instead of it taking us 14 years, we were able to accomplish it in seven. We became financially independent in seven years. However, in year six, we lost, that was Black Tuesday, and we lost 56% of our retirement revenue or assets. But by year seven, we just kept doing, we said, okay, this has happened, this horrible setback. Everybody in the country, right? Horrible setback. But we just kept doing, we just kept doing our thing. We just kept doing what we had always done. We didn't change anything. We just consistently kept saving money, watching where we spent our money, that kind of thing. And the very next year, we happened to have a, a miracle happen with one of our assets that split and then split again. And we were financially independent by year seven instead of year 14. So All I can say to people is that when you have a vision board and when you have targets that you've set for yourself, you and your partner are unstoppable. And I'm not saying you're unflappable. I mean, things still rattle your chain and make you anxious. But if you're both standing there hand in hand with the kids and you're looking at that vision board and you're looking at those targets, you are doing more to stabilize this country than you realize. Right. That's, that's awesome. That's a great place to start. And you know, that's, that's actually at personal financial strategy. That's the first thing we start with is getting some targets out in front of people. I have been uh, surprised by, uh, for lack of a better term, the lack of targets for people. And uh, I think I see people's, once they have a target, think they can make great decisions. Um, I see people's anxiety come down. A target is a good remedy for anxiety, but I know that you wouldn't leave it there, would you, Janine? You you have some tactical things that this young couple could practice, I believe. Oh, I, I totally do, but I don't move further until you show me your vision board on Zoom. <laughs> is that right oh no uh -uh. because if you don't know where you're going how can i guide you there 
seriously, I live in Colorado. Like I told you, you know, I'm up and climbing a mountain. Let me tell you something. If you're going to do one of the 13ers and one of the 14ers out here, what does your guide first say? Which mountain are you climbing? Because each mountain has its own characteristics. And so I'm like, when people start arguing with me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to you about what I know. And I have Mount Meeker out here, which is one of our 14ers. And before I would ever think about climbing Mount Meeker, I would make sure I had a freaking map on where I was going and what my target was. Because when I hike, my goal is not the summit. Everybody says, you're kidding me, Janine. How many 14ers have you hiked? I said, well, I've been on seven of the of the mountains, but I haven't gone to the peak because that wasn't my goal. And they're like, what? I'm like, my target was I wanted to be on the most beautiful, secluded place. And the guides love to take me there because I'm there for the beauty uh. and I am there to see what the mountain has to offer. I'm not there to get to the peak. There's plenty of people that are running to the peak. But my joy is being able to see vistas that only that mountain can show you. So it's, as you know, when finances, everybody's going to have a different target. Everybody is in a different situation, which is why we have to go through so much training, right? If If you're a certified financial planner, you have had to go through so much training. Why? Because of the sheer volume of options that are available for people because of the life experiences that they mm-hmm. choose to have as well as where they currently are. That That's very interesting. Uh, that's your story about the peaks. It smacks a little bit of, of remember to smell the roses along the way. Just a little. And that's the purpose of the vision board, right? Uh-huh. The vision board is your heart. The vision yeah. board is what gets you excited. You know, what are the things that are your passions? What is it that you really want out of life? Because to me, and it's the same with you, Tony, you, you and I've talked, you know, money is just the freaking tool. You know, it's the hammer, it's the chisel, it's the shovel, you know, whatever you want, whatever metaphor you want to use. Money is just a tool. I know very few, uh, actually, I don't have any clients where money is the ultimate goal. Uh, you know, that that mindset of he with the most toys wins that was very prominent in the 50s and 60s in our country. It's why our, the 60s were as uh, rebellious as they were, because those uh, folks knew that he with the most toys wins is not a philosophy that will be beneficial to humanity in the long run. And right. so most of the millennials have that on lock. That is not a driver for them, most right. of them. And the people mm-hmm. that you and I work with, most definitely not. That is not what drives them. They want mm-hmm. that quality of life. They're, they're the ones screaming for, uh, it's not that I don't want to work. I just don't want to work your way, nine to five, 365, two, hour, you know, two weeks a year. That's not enough. That's not enough to live the life. Right. So right. that's why I'm so right. grateful we have millennials because they've really brought that message to the forefront in a way our generation could not. There was no room for that kind of message. Right. You know, you bring up an interesting point or an interesting observation. I'm sure you've heard uh, in the circles you run in, I'm sure it's pretty common uh, to hear this term, the great resignation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like I said, people are finally joining the party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny uh, w- when talking about that subject with different people of different ages, you get so many different responses. And I hate to say it because I'm one of them, but in, in the older generation, 
I'm over 60. The response to that movement, if it really is a movement, at least it's a body of thought. It seems like I hear a lot of people worried about that. Like it's upsetting the order of things in America and and they have concern for that. And uh, But the younger you go, they are getting more fulfillment out of work than we dreamed of back in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, just, and, and there's no denying that. There's no escaping that. Um, so it's it's funny. I'm, I'm getting of the age that I'm seeing that, oh uh, yeah, that's what you older guys think, kind of, you know, that older generation not being willing, you know, and we thought of ourselves as the most accepting and, you know, we were, in our day, we were wild and free too. And, and now we're just kind of morphing into this, oh, don't upset the order. Oh, order good, same good, change bad, change bad. Well, you know, I'm pulling things- out of my own way. But. Yeah, well, I, one of the things that I like to share about that is, well, hey, at, at least we're not having sit-ins and we're not throwing Molotov cocktails at place and stuff like that with the great resignation. Um, yeah. The children of the 60s, uh, the the people that were doing the rebellion, they were fighting against sending people to war and a war that they didn't understand, much less a war that really didn't have a strong uh, metaphor behind it. So like there was a story for World War One, there was a story for World War Two, right? And then when it came to the 60s, it was just war for war's sake as far as those protesters believed. Okay, I'm not I don't want to go into a history lesson and I'm not here to debate what was going on. Right, I'm not here right. to talk politics because I am not educated in that way. Um, right. so I don't I don't talk about that. But looking at it from if you look at the 60s and you look at uh, the Great Resignation, what came out of the 60s? We saved our liberal arts colleges in the 60s. We opened up the way education was even perceived. Um, there were so many attributes to the 60s that hadn't even been thought of. It wasn't even concepts that were allowed because of the restrictive measures that had come in for the 40s and the 50s. Yes, we had the interstate, but that's part of what was built out. But by the time the 60s hit, you have to remember, we were coming out of the McCarthy era uh, era and all that. And so with the Great Resignation, what are we coming out of? We're coming out of a schooling institutionalized programs that are no longer working. So things busted loose with 2020 and we're now online and now everybody has access to that. And if they don't, the school systems are got Wi-Fi hotspots outside the school so that those kids that are in endangerment or whatever can sit in their cars and take their classes outside, right? In a car uh, from their school. So now the schooling institutions have opened up. And when did you ever think, Tony, that you could take a picture with a phone, a camera phone, you could take a picture of a check on your camera phone and your bank would say, okay, it's deposited. Our financial institution was drug kicking and screaming back into the 21st century through 2020. So when people start talking about the great resignation and change is bad, I'm like, are you out of your mind? The institutions that were so holding this country back as far as being able to progress with the technology that was available to everybody that had a computer or Wi-Fi, uh, 
it finally got to bust loose because it was required to. So our financial institutions that were still demanding that we would take a check and run it through a magnetized reader, right? And they still have hand people hand punching the 10 digit codes because I used to be one of those people. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's yeah. one of the things oh, yeah. they still were doing. It. Now, oh my goodness. And so where the millennials have really been pushing hard, I'm like, I'm so happy they have been because I knew these things were yeah. wrong, but we didn't, our generation didn't have a voice for that. We were just trying to get past the fact that not to live for the moment always because remember the bomb, you know, where kids yeah. now have stranger danger and, and people coming into schools. We had at any moment, somebody's going to get pissed off with somebody else. A bomb, somebody's going to press the button and you're going to be obliterated into non-existence through the atomic war that will happen after that. And right. I, my kids look at me and they go, oh my God, I don't know what's worse. What you guys went through with your school or what we're going through with our school. <laughs> and I said, honey, the thing is, every generation has their threat. Mm-hmm. Your generation was the threat of strangers coming in, or now for the new generation, it's COVID, it's a virus. And yeah. again, always unseen, unknown threats. So this yeah. is nothing new. No, no, it's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, you can probably tell, I'm a little excited about it. I, I love, as I said earlier, I, I don't think there's a better time to be alive than right now. And to our couple, to our dual income, over six figure earning couple, I say the same thing. You guys have every reason to be excited about tomorrow. All you need to do, start with some targets. Once you get those established, let's talk about some tactical things that, by the way, technology makes available to us that you can employ to feel just awesome about your personal finances in the future. Well, Janine, thanks so much for the conversation today. I'd like to give our listeners every opportunity to connect with you and for you to let us know what's the easiest way to connect with you. I think the easiest way is for you to go on to LinkedIn and look up my profile at Janine Bolin. And uh, we can put those links in the show notes. But uh, if you want to go on and look at a website, that would be The Eight Gates. So it's T-H-E, the number eight, and then G-A-T-E-S dot com, The8Gates.com. On there, I have a free online course called The 10 Steps to Abundance. And that will help you set up some of those targets and all that. And then after you've taken that online course, I recommend you reach back around to Tony and then get him to work with you on the targets that you need to set financially, that sort of thing. Because I, I really think that you need to find or employ someone to be an accountability partner. So make sure you reach back around to Tony and chat with him because the man knows what he's talking about. He's been there. He's had this stuff happen to him and for him. (laughs) So make sure, make sure you do that. So you take my 10 steps to abundance course and then reach back around to Tony. So you have an accountability partner. Great. Thank you so much, Janine. It's been a pleasure having you. And until next time, strategists keep on strategizing.